Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we wait before Thee in the name of our Lord Jesus. We come on the basis of His shed blood and His righteousness. We come through that new and living way unto Thee. We bow before Thee, wait before Thee. Thou and Thou alone knowest the helplessness of Thy servant. Thou knowest the words You've laid upon our heart. Thou knowest that Thou art the only one who can give us the grace to deliver it. So we do pray that Thy Spirit will fill us, You'll give us utterance, and Thy Word will go home in power and much assurance to our hearts. Our Father and our God, we do beg of Thee in Christ's name tonight, that Thou wilt make us a holy people. Thou wilt make each and every one of us who know Christ in sincerity and truth, who have been bought with the price of His own precious blood, who have been clothed in His righteousness, who have been given a new heart and a new nature, who have been regenerated by Thy power, and whose hope is set upon Christ his death, burial, and resurrection, and all that he is, that thou wilt give us our heart's desire tonight, and that is to be like him. Oh, give us the spirit and grace of mortification. We might mortify the deeds of the body. Our Father, give us that grace that the world will go by, not that we will not love the souls there and pray for them and send the word to them, but we'll be in the world, but not of the world. And we will hear that admonition, set your affection on things above and not on things on this earth, because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall be like him, or we shall see him as he is. And therefore, our Father, may we put that fifth verse of Colossians 3 into effect, to mortify, therefore, our members which are upon the earth. Father, give us among each and every one who works in this ministry, a deep desire to be like Christ in holiness. That we will stand guard with our lips, with our eyes, with our ears. And that our hearts will be set upon heavenly things. And we will not rest until we see by thy grace, thy spirit changing us from glory into glory into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Now, our Father, give us utterance tonight as our prayer. Cause each heart to be searched by thy Spirit. Cause each heart to go out to thee. May none of us be spared 
the searching eye of him who sits upon the throne, Spirit of the living God, come and search our hearts. Try the reins of our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us that we may walk in a way everlasting. Have mercy upon those who do not know you. Our Father, our heart goes to thee for them. You'd break the power of sin, set them free. You'd deliver them from going down to the pit. You would have mercy upon them and they would know what it means to have sweet communion with the living God and to see a beauty and a glory in the Lord Jesus Christ to desire him and to walk with him. Help us. In every phase of this ministry that you put in our hands, help us to walk in a way that is pleasing to thee. For it is in Christ's name that we pray and ask. Amen. I must confess to you that this portion I'm going to read to you tonight came as seeming like a boat to my soul as I was waiting before the Lord for his word for tonight. I want you to turn with us to Matthew's chap- Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to read to you verse 27 through 30. We're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. The dispensationalists say that the Sermon on the Mount does not belong to us, it belongs to the Jews for the, for the so-called millennium. The reason they tell us all of this is because they do not like the Sermon on the Mount, for the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most searching and piercing portions of God's eternal word. If you don't believe me, read it and ask the Holy Spirit to take it home to your heart. It is a portion of Scripture wherein our, our Lord Jesus began <clears throat> to bless the people. Then he began to deal and probe with our hearts, into our hearts. And he began to set them straight in regard to the law, for he had said that in verse, he had said in verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And then he said, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these com least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I pity the man who has to answer before God in that day of judgment that he preached that God's holy law is not required of us today. I said, I pity the man who has to stand before God in that day who has preached that the law has been done away with and that the law no longer is required of us. And he teaches men to break it. For wherever do you find in the book of God that I'm, have to, I'm to have any other God but the living God before me? Where do you find in the book that it's done away with that I shall not have any idols in my heart? Where do you find in the book of God that I can take the name of the Lord my God in vain? Where do you find in the book of God where it says that I can desecrate the Lord's day and do it, live it and do with it as I please? Where do you find in the Word of God where it says that I'm not to obey my parents, my father and mother, and those who have authority over me? Where do you find in the Word of God where it says that it's okay to steal, oh, it's, it's all right to murder? The Supreme Court said it, didn't they? But who's going to follow the Supreme Court? Those judges and all the midwives and doctors and nurses and everybody who's had part in the abortion system of this nation are going to stand guilty before God of breaking the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill. Where in the Word of God do you find that the seventh commandment is done away with, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I ask again, where in the word of God do you find that it's done away with that I shall not steal? Or that I shall not bear false witness against my neighbor? Or that I shall not covet? You won't find it. If you will be if you will take time enough, and I have, you can take the Sermon on the Mount and find everything that our Lord taught there, taught by the apostles and the epistles. It's a good study for you. Take it and see if you can find everything that he taught there in the epistles. And perhaps I'll give you that study. For you will. For everything that's written in the Sermon on the Mount is brought out so very clearly by the apostles and the epistles. 
So it has not been done away with. Now, we would like to look tonight for the grace of God at our Lord's attitude toward the seventh commandment. He had already spoke to the sixth commandment in verses 21 through 26. And when he, has, when he said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, he is not saying, have you heard, ye have heard that it was said by Moses at Sinai. He didn't say that. What he did say was that what the Pharisees had taught and interpreted in the way of the Scriptures, that their righteousness and was all wrong because they interpreted the law as being only that which was outward, never considered that God looks upon the heart. Therefore, the intent of God's law is to regulate our hearts. It can never be supposed that God should require us to cleanse only the outside of the cup and the planet and leave us at liberty to retain all manner of uncleanness within. He surely will not be satisfied with seeing us like whited sepulchers. Now, there are two things that God looks at. There are two hearts. And I ask the question tonight, when God looks upon our hearts, what does he find? We read of one in Genesis 6, 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Watch it. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's one heart that he looks upon. The other heart is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who desire a pure heart, those who desire to be in purity of heart, those who desire above everything else, and God would give them a pure heart. Their motives would be pure. Their thoughts would be pure. Everything about them would be pure before God. They realize that they have not yet attained under that which they've been laid hold of by God, but yet the deep desire of their heart is to have a pure heart before God. And I ask you tonight, when God looks upon our hearts, what does He see? A heart filled with the imagination of evil continually? Or does He look upon a heart that desires purity and holiness and righteousness and a heart that desires to please God? As long as God gives me breath, and as long as He allows me to stand in this pulpit, I'm going to cry for holiness of heart and of life and those who profess to know the Lord. I will use every means at my command from the Word of God. 
pray in the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to not leave us alone, but to search out our hearts. Here in these verses that we read tonight, our blessed Lord shows the spiritual intent of the law. That the commandment is broad and extends far beyond just the base act of unlawful intercourse with a married woman. But a lustful look, a secret desire, impure thoughts, were in the sight of God a breaking of His holy law. Our Lord declares that this commandment reaches to the inward affection, prohibiting all impure thoughts and impure desires of the heart. I said, Our Lord here declares that this commandment, the seventh commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery, reaches to the inward affection. It prohibits all impure thoughts and desires of the heart. Our Lord shows that man is only concerned usually with the outward and has no regard for the honor and glory of God by hiding iniquity in his heart. This is what he said of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Listen to what he says in verse 25. Warn you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. God searches the heart. He looks at the heart. And I praise Him and thank Him for it, that there is nothing that is hid from His eyes. This is the reason that the psalmist, after giving us those gracious words in Psalm 139, which starts off, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast set me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. There is no place that I can flee from thy presence. Whether I go, where can I go from thy spirit? If I ascend up in heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea... Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know, if you and I would live in the knowledge that our God sees us, our God knows us, the very thoughts and intents of the heart are known unto him. We would be like the psalmist 
When he got through that psalm, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. My heart's too deep for even me to understand. Let me know what is there. Bring it out into the open. I want to know it. So this sin of fornication and adultery, this breaking of the seventh commandment, is not only an outward thing, but it is an inward thing. Well, that's what he says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in the heart. Does God hate this sin? I'll challenge you to go through the Bible and see how many times this sin is mentioned. I challenge you to go through the Bible and see how many times that this sin, we have a scene of this sin and the awful results of this sin are the, listed on the pages of Holy Writ. Because you see... This sin consists of all sorts of things. This commandment forbids not only adultery and fornication, this commandment forbids rape and incest. This commandment forbids sodomy and all unnatural lusts. This commandment forbids all unclean imaginations and thoughts and purposes and affections. I have scriptures for every one of these. This commandment forbids all corrupt or filthy communication or even listening to it. This commandment is against immodest apparel. It is against unchaste company. It is against idleness and gluttony and drunkenness that leads to this sin. This commandment is against all licentious songs and books and pictures and everything that would, it would excite man to the committing of this sin before God. There's no need telling you, you know it. We live in, I believe, in one of the most promiscuous societies that ever been since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you know that our president-elect yesterday said that one of the first things he will do when he gets into office is that he will give a presidential edict to the fact that the Sodomites and the Lesbianites are allowed into all the branches of the armed service. That's what he said yesterday. One of the first things he'll do when he gets into office. Now, if you don't think that's a fulfillment of Romans 1, you haven't read your Bible lately. 
Romans chapter 1 reads this way. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor honor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one to another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet or suitable. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And we're going to see the day, it won't be long, before if we open our mouths publicly against the gays, the sodomites, or the lesbianites, we will be put in jail or have our heads cut off. But they're going to have to cut my head off because I am not going to compromise the Word of God. When they started teaching sex, you listen to me now, I'm coming to you, don't worry about it. When they started seeking, teaching sex education in our public schools, they got what they wanted. And that is this, this bestiality among us, the murder, the pregnancies, Everything. You don't teach a child how to do something and then tell them not to do it. But I said all of this to say this. You and I do not sit in this audience tonight smug and complacent in our own hearts and look around us and see where our society has come and say within ourselves, I am not like one of them. Because God says that it's in the heart. And that's where he looks. And that's what he looks for. He looks for the uncleanness of the thoughts. He warns us in the Proverbs over and over again against this sin. But our blessed Lord doesn't leave it there in the outward act. He begins to deal with our heart and shows us the uncleanness of the heart of heart adultery, that is, in the sight of God, a breaking of His holy law. There are those who do not like to have their hearts searched. There are those who say, I never search my heart. I'm all right. I'm fine. Don't need to search my heart. I'm fine. All I got to tell you is that you're not a child of God. I'll tell it to you to your face. 
I said that a man or a woman or a boy or girl who professed to know the Lord and, and can say that I never have my heart searched, no need for my heart to be searched, because everything is all right, I'm telling you, we're dealing with a person who does not know the Lord. Because a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who knows the Lord God of glory, they cry for God to search out their hearts. At the first mention of sin, the first inkling of sin coming into the heart, he wants his heart searched. He wants to cry out against it. And he does cry out against it. Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in the heart. It is not an involuntary glance which constitutes the sin. The sin. But when evil thoughts are prompted by our depraved hearts, the first step and degree then of this is when our heart stirs up with lust within us. The second stage in degree is when we deliberately approach unto and begin to feed the eye with the sight of the forbidden fruit, where the future satisfaction cannot be attained, but the heart is there, and God sees it, and He knows the heart. This is a sin that is the moment it comes into the heart, even with an involuntary glance or a thought to come across the mind that should immediately be taken to the living God and asked to be taken out. I mean, we're to not dilly-dally with sin at all. We're to bring it to the Lord. We're to ask Him to break it. We're to mortify it. We are to confess it. We are to swiftly bring it under the mortifying knife of God's eternal Word. For it won't be long we'd be brought into the bondage of it. So that the person is bound by chains that no human power can break. You don't believe your sin's powerful? Ask me and I'll tell you. I have dealt with individuals that could no more break the power of lust than they could fly. No matter what it cost them, they would go into it. Lust binds them, holds them, drives them. We've got to nip the thing in the bud. You don't know how many times I've cried Second Peter chapter 2, verse 14. You know what it reads? You know what it reads? having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. And this comes from the heart. And we're to mortify it. You may tell me, Pastor, you have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. I don't want to. I cry against it. I know this scripture is there. And I know the propensities of my heart. And I know where it can lead. I must mortify it. The knife of mortification must come and come swiftly upon every sin. We're not to play with any one of them. Every Delilah must be put to death immediately and not to play with them. I don't care what sin it is. Whether it's this one or another one. Sin is to be... Mortify, mortified. 
We're to make a covenant with our eyes like the psalmist did and like Job did. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes, therefore why should I look upon a maid? Why should I let my heart go after that? Which is forbidden of God. Our Lord also clearly implies and forbids any of our senses and members for allow them to be stirred up by lust, by unclean conversation, lewd and immoral dress, by reading material that will fuel the hellish fires. You're listening, aren't you? I would dare say that in a small audience like this tonight, there are some of you, or one of you, who's addicted to pornography. Nobody knows it but you and God. I believe this is why I laid this on my heart. I'm telling you, you're a marked man or a marked woman before God. I hate sin. I loathe it. I don't want it. I want God to work. And I don't want lust to have any part in my being whatsoever. I ask you tonight, has the God of the Bible ever searched out your heart? If that been defiled, you say, without one act of adultery, yet your heart is not clear before God. You are not free from an immoral eye. You're not free from evil desires and impure imaginations and you never cry out against them. There is not one of us but could lay our hands upon our mouths tonight and condemn ourselves as offenders in the sight of God. But do we cry out against it? Do we flee to Christ? Do we flee to the fountain of cleansing? Or do we feed upon it? Do we cry unto God, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Do we cry for mercy? Do we come again and again and again and again and again to the fountain of cleansing? Do we plead the blood of Christ?
a pure heart, O God. Please, my living God, a pure heart. Please, a pure heart. Give me a pure heart. Give me pure thoughts. Deliver me from myself. Deliver me from my evil ways. I know that sin is still in the flesh. And there's a propensities for every conceivable thing dwelling therein. But, O oh Lord, deliver me. Help me. Give me grace. Hold me. Keep me. Is that our cry? Some of you think I'm a fool. But brother, I'm not a fool. I know what I'm talking about. I know how God deals with the human soul. And I know how He deals with His children. He causes us to cry out. I mean, day and night. It's all of grace. It's all by the Spirit of God. But there was within us that cry for holiness, that perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We read 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That is, we should labor to keep our hearts and minds as pure as our bodies, that we would not grieve the Spirit of the living God. That's the kind of people I cry here for. I don't care if they're just as a handful. Lord, give me a holy people. Give me a people that cry out against sin. Give me a people that hate sin. Give me a people that is crying out against everything that comes up in the heart that's not of the Lord. A people with a tender conscience. A people that keeps short accounts with God. People that cry unto God to make them in the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you how the Lord is serious about this. He gives us two examples. One in verse 29 and one thirty. In verse 29 he said, If thy right eye offend thee, Pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. In other words, every darling lust is like the right eye. Everything that is of the flesh is like the right eye. He doesn't, he doesn't really, he doesn't mean that we literally go in and gouge out the right eye. That will not affect the heart. But what he's talking about is that if the sin, whatever it is, if, it's as, if it is as dear to us as a right eye, get rid of it. No matter what it takes, get rid of it. Confess it. Forsake it. I don't care what it costs. Let it go. If it's the cutting off of right hands, he says in verse 30, If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast from the soul into hell. He says, Think of sin in the light of eternity. 
Think of sin in the light of what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the danger of unholy thoughts and where they will lead. And the cost of your going on in sin. He said there must be an, un an uncompromising exclusion of everything hurtful to the soul. To pluck out right eyes means that we are to rigidly restrain and strictly govern our senses and members, denying ourselves even though it involves present hindrance, even though it involves financial loss, even though it involves present or personal pain, no matter how pleasant, and dear the presence and use of certain things may be to us. Yet if they are occasions of flesh, occasions of sin, they must be relinquished and they must be avoided. For they must be in the heart. I turn into the Lord. You know, we have much preaching today on mortification. It's amazing, but it is true. Many people will go to Colossians chapter 3, and they will read the first four verses, and they will rejoice. They sit on the right hand of God, that they are dead and their life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is their life, shall appear, they shall appear with him in glory, and there they stop. They never go to the fifth verse. You know why? Because the knife of mortification must come out. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them, but now. You also put off all these, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication out of your, your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you put off the old man with his deeds and to put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The knife of mortification must be there. And that was not enough. Then I want you to hear this one in Romans chapter 8. Verse 13. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now what does mortification mean? What does mortify mean? It means to deaden. It means to put to death. It means to render inoperative. It means to make extinct. And God desires and demands of us to do that. Nobody's going to do this for me. There must be the cry in my soul unto the living God by the Spirit of God, that I would live as a person who mortifies the deeds of the body. 
and a person who mortifies my members which are upon this earth. Does that apply to the believer? You know, there are certain scriptures in the Bible that God gives us, and He directs He directs them to those who claim to be saved. And He uses it as a hedge. Watch it. The first one is found in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7, Be not deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. He uses these verses of Scripture as a hedge about us. Can a child of God fall and become an apostate? Are you listening to my wording? Watch what I'm going to say. The question was asked, can a child of God fall and become an apostate? Looking at it through the eyes of God? No. Looking at it through my eyes? Yes. You know why? Paul, in writing to the Hebrews, included himself in chapter 10, verse 26, when he said, If we send willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. God gives us all these ifs throughout His Word as hedges about us. If we send willfully, if we allow sin to master us, if we allow sin to have the ascendancy, what about this? John Knox of Scotland sent word back to Mary, Bloody Mary of Scots, when she said that she was coming against him with 10,000 soldiers. He sent her back word, I fear nothing but sin. And that's what you and I should do. I heard a preacher always harping on the fact that the believer did not have to fear sin. Well, he didn't because he lived in it all the time. He played with it. I don't want to live like that. We're to mortify the deeds of the body. If we sin willfully, after that we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth the more sacrifice for sin but a fearful looking forward to of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. By this our Lord teaches us that we must keep a strict watch over the senses and the members of our body. You remember we just got through a series of messages on Romans chapter 6. In verse 13 we read these words. 
Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield or present yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. My members should be instruments of righteousness. By the power of God's Spirit, recognizing that I can do nothing within myself, recognizing that I'm helpless and hopeless to hold myself and to keep myself, but recognizing that God has promised that grace. That's exactly what He's promised. He will give more grace. He will give more grace. And we should count upon it. And therefore, let us not be swayed by anything that come along. Let us not dilly-dally with any sin, any heart sin whatsoever. Let us deal with every sin in the sight of God, honest and frankly before Him. Thus and thus have I done. Thus and thus my heart is here. Thus and thus I need more to be like Christ. Thus and thus I need my temper and my frustrations. I must need it broken. I must need to walk in kindness and love and tenderness. I must need for my speech to be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that I may know how to answer every man. I need, O oh Lord my God, for you to break my heart. That I'll not say one thing or do one thing that would bring reproach upon thy holy and righteous name. But I thought being a Christian is that you just turned it all over to the Lord and you lived happy ever after. Now when you become a child of God, you enter into the arena to fight. You've just begun to fight. And He's given us the whole armor to fight with. He tells us to put it on. And if we're not using it, there's something wrong with us. I don't know if you... I don't know if you're aware of what God is doing tonight. I don't know if you're aware of why God sent us with this message tonight. I'm very much aware of it. God wants to probe and desires to probe our hearts. God desires a holy people here. God desires us to, for us to realize that sin is still in the body. We must be watchful against it. We must be watchful of the heart. We can look beautiful on the outside, but full of dead men's bones on the inside. Living in every kind of sin on the inside. We must govern everything in the light of eternity. We must govern everything in the light of Calvary, in the light of the Garden of Gethsemane. We must govern everything in the light of all that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered in His agony from Gethsemane to when He cried, It is finished. We must ever keep Calvary in mind. We must ever keep Christ in mind. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, why did he give us this twice? 
In Mark, he gives it to us three times. The hand, the eye, and the foot. Because he's desirous that our hearts would be broken and that we would be ever watchful of sin. Our souls are at stake. God's ministry is at stake. The day we lift it up in pride is when God's judgment falls upon this place. The day we're not heart searchers before God and desire to live holy before Him and we let the bars down, you can reckon that God's judgment's going to fall. Woe be unto us if we send the truth to somebody else and we do not apply it to our own heart. Woe unto those who were carpers and builders with Noah's sons upon the ark, but never did get into it. And woe be unto us who sends the truth to somebody else. And we're not partakers of it. And our hearts are not broken and searched before God. I love you. I pray for you. That's not been a moment in the last two, three days and nights that I haven't cried to God for you. For this ministry. For God to take such a word as this home to our hearts tonight. And we would be a holy people. A people concerned to be made in the image and likeness of Christ. A people concerned to be changed from glory to glory in His likeness. A people cast back upon the living God moment by moment. A people that are crying out unto God to work in our hearts. That which is well-pleasing unto Him. We might be conformed to Him in all of His likeness and His glory. And woe be unto me. If I stand here tonight and preach such a sermon to you, I have not preached it to my own heart. I do not take it to my own heart. May God have mercy upon us. I've done what God wanted me to do, and let's lay this out before you tonight. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. How is our heart? What is lust? Lust is the impatient of de- impatience of desire. I must have it at once. Love can wait seven years like Jacob. Lust cannot wait two seconds like Esau. Give me that red beans and rice or I die. We better ask God to subdue everything about us and bring us down at his feet. Last word is this. 
judgment first must begin at the house of the Lord. And if it begins at us, where shall the sinner, the ungodly man, appear? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the unrighteous man appear? If I were here tonight, lost like some of you are, I'd tremble beneath the blood tree of Calvary. Because God has to preach such a sermon to those who profess. What about me? who has never embraced the living God. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.